Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. Episode 101 is on its way. So for today, I have a special episode for you guys. Today, we have a newbie, a first timer. I've asked Braden Dobson to come on and share his his journey into recovery. Before we get to that, though, let's get our sponsorships in. Episode 101 is brought to us by Steps Recovery Centers. Steps Recovery Centers is here to help you or a loved one get help as soon as you're ready to reach out. Reach out by giving them a call at 801-800-8142 or go directly to their website. That's stepsrc.com. Steps Recovery Center believes in evidence-based practice. They have you from start to finish, from detox, inpatient, outpatient, aftercare. Definitely, uh, yeah, give them a call if, if you or loved one's ready to get some help. I mean, this podcast is about recovery, so I'm hoping that there's some people out there that either themselves or a loved one is in need of some help, right? Uh, episode 101 is also brought to us by Rise Up Sups. Rise Up Sups is a supplement company that does nootropics. We have two formulas. The first formula is Mindful Mood. Mindful Mood Mindful Mood helps decrease anxiety and enhance mood. And then we have our second product, Mind Shift. Mind Shift is going to increase focus and optimize brain function. So go go to Rise Up Subs. That's R-I-S-E-U-P-S-U-P-S.com. And for the month of dis, I'm sorry, November, podcast special only, we're doing 50% off at checkout. Um, the code word is podcast, podcast 50. So type in podcast 50 at checkout, gets you 50% off. And I actually, speaking of that, Braden, I, I brought you a bottle of some mindful mood. Oh, right on. Okay, cool. Yeah. Give that yeah. a try. Nice. Some, All right. Some good stuff. Yeah. Some good stuff. So, well, let's get into it. How are you doing this morning, Braden? I, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We've been planning this for a couple weeks and some yeah. dates haven't worked out, but, but I'm excited to have you on. So we always start off with new and goods, practice a little positive psychology, something new, fun, exciting going on in your life, right? Trying to get away from the doom and gloom. So what's new and good? Well, I mean, the holidays are coming up and I I get to see my family. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I've been uh, really into like meditation recently and it's helped my mental health quite a bit. And I just recently got into it watching some like YouTube videos and whatnot. Um, and then yeah, Wim Hof breathing. Have you heard of that? Oh yeah. 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 Oh, that's my favorite. I've been, I've been so into that recently. Uh, my roommate, he's, he's super into it and I wasn't really that into it until I started living with him and now I do it like almost every day. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. My routine is I I typically wake up super early in the morning. I go to the gym, I come home, I do Wim Hof breathing, meditate for 10 minutes, take a cold shower, get ready, go to work. So you're speaking my language. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. What's this breathing thing? Wim Hof breathing? Yeah, I've never heard oh, of it. Oh, man, what you've never it? heard of it? No, I haven't. Oh, what is it? oh okay. You, I, you, you got to hear is, about is it. Is it like, like, <laughs> like your contractions? It's like, it's like hyperventilating, but there's like a pattern to so it. So it's 30 deep breaths, belly breathing, Okay. followed by a pause where you're holding your breath after the 30th breath. The beginner one is for 30 seconds, and that's round number one. Then you do 30 breaths again. You hold your breath for a minute. That's round number two. Again, 30 breaths. Hold your, your breath for a minute. That's three rounds. Now that's just the beginner. Oh, geez. The intermediate phase you is the same me, thing. Is it you pass out at all? No. I, it's not, you hold I your mean, breath. You can, but <laughs> wife, what happened? I'm breathing on the floor, honey. Don't. <laughs> if you go to his YouTube, if you just go to YouTube and you type in Wim Hof breathing for beginners, I always recommend start off with. If you've never done it, start off with the beginner one because your mind trips out after that first thirtieth breath, and you start holding, your mind goes into panic mode, and it's about overcoming that fear. Okay. Yeah. He, he, he says in the recording, if you need to breathe, go ahead. Before oh, good. I give yeah, you a cue, go ahead. Worried yeah, I was locked yeah, to well, a contract or something. You don't want to hurt yourself, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Uh, freaking Sean. What's your new and good, Sean? Oh, really? I'm getting a vasectomy today. Are you serious? Dead serious. Two fifteen. Right no Bro, more kids. I'm bringing my own. Bringing my own scissors. <laughs> you're doing it to yourself, huh? Well, you know, he's trying to save on some. You know, Obamacare bills. disappeared, so I'm just like, hey, well, I can do it at home, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that. Uh, I don't know that that's new and good, but maybe in a way it's new and good for you. Um, yeah, it's just you know, it's just one of those things. Where I'm like, yeah, what the heck? Did the wife give you an ultimatum? 
No, no, no. Actually, she, it, yeah, it's a different story, but yeah. Oh, it was the girlfriend that gave you the Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so the, the f- funny side story, this keeps coming up whenever we talk about the vasectomy. My wife's friends, he got a vasectomy, mm-hmm. and then the next day went ATV riding up in the mountains. Bad idea. And then three months later, wife was pregnant. And so he was like, you cheated on me. You cheated on me. You cheated on me. The doctor's like, no, you went ATV riding. The vasectomy didn't take. Dang. It's your kid. That's crazy. Wow. So I'm not going ATV riding this weekend. Yeah, no, no, no. Take it easy. <laughs> That's interesting, though, because I've uh, maybe we're getting a little too personal here and off topic, but I had a vasectomy, um, but they made it like super permanent. So they can actually clip it and singe the ends and Yeah, but all it's kinds your body, man. Things break. So I don't and... know that bouncing on an ATV would like get it to reconnect and undo the singeing. Well, That's what have... I was thinking, too. I mean, you take a straw, <laughs> you cut both ends, you, t- you cut the middle part, right? And you, whatever. But then if the little part breaks and the other part breaks and it goes out and goes in and, and <laughs> you know, and then all but wham, baby time. <laughs> okay. I'm no doctor, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, you asked, man. You good luck. I was good thinking, luck. do I drop the bomb on him? Yes, I do. So there you go. Wim Hof is also known for his ice baths. So maybe after your vasectomy, you should do an ice bath because it's called a, a polar plunge. Yeah. Because it would help with the swelling and the inflammation. I well, mean, well, I did you, buy some boxers on uh, on uh, uh, Amazon that have ice, uh, an packs? ice pouch in a patch. <laughs> And it's like, yeah, it comes with two ice pat, uh, pouches. So you just like take, I'm sorry, man, this is way too much. Nice. This is not what you signed up for today. Is it's it? good. It's no, good. no, I, <laughs> ice baths are amazing, actually. I, I was telling my parents about this and they were looking at me like I was crazy, but I take cold showers and do ice baths and mm. it feels so amazing when you come out. It's just like. For the first three minutes. Yeah, you're it's euphoric. You, it's, it's amazing. And during the winter, uh, last winter. We, uh, me, Chris, and our friend Peter, who he's since relapsed, but we used to, you know, back when he was doing good, we would hang out with him. And we all went and uh, we jumped in a river in the middle of wintertime, um, the Virgin River. And Cold. Yeah. <laughs> Cold. Yeah. 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 That's good stuff. I love it. Well, let's get into it, buddy. So today is is basically you're the featured guest. I mean, it's it's a, the journey of Braden Dobson. Yeah. Maybe that'll be the, the title of this thing. Oh, that's a good title. I like so, that. Yeah. Let our audience get to know you a little bit more, right? Like, tell us a little bit about yourself, Braden. Where are you from? Who's Braden? So I'm from Tooele, Utah. Uh, for those of you who don't know where that is, it's a small town just north of Salt Lake City. Has about 40,000 people, give or take. Um, so I moved down to St. George back in 2014 originally um, for school. And I was g- going when, to... Back when it was called... Dixie? Dixie State, yeah, yeah back yeah. when it was called Dixie State. Now it's Utah Tech University. Utah Tech, yeah, that, they changed the name, yeah. Um, and back then it was called Dixie State, and I went for a couple years, didn't do real great, fell out. Um, at that time in my life, I was kind of getting more into partying and stuff like that, and um, that's kind of where things started to progress. Um, I grew up LDS, and so I was never really into that, you know, when I was younger and all that but you know when I got cut loose from my parents is when things really started to escalate I guess you could say and I have I guess just like all other people who struggle with addiction I have an addictive personality and so when I like something I'm just going to keep doing it in excess um can you identify like even before the substance abuse that because like I can think back and and long before I ever touched a mind-altering substance man I was a fat kid yeah, I yeah. mean, little Debbie was like my my first girlfriend and probably one of my best, right? Little Debbie, <laughs> little Debra, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those That's what little I call little Debra. <laughs> yeah, little Debra treats, dude, yeah. like you know the Swiss rolls and oatmeal cream pies. And I can look back and go, man, I even had an addictive personality when I was just a little youngster, right? Yeah, I would eat a whole box of those oatmeal cookies at a time. Oh, I'm I'm the same way, and my parents can attest to this. I would. You know, I'd go trick or treating at six years old and eat the whole bag of candy before before you before got home? I yeah before I even got home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's I, you know it's funny you bring that up because I was just gonna say that next it, for as long as I can remember I've had that mentality where anything that felt good I just wanted to keep rewarding myself mm. you know mm, yeah um and so you know when around 2014 um so I played sports in high school and I. Um, I got a hamstring injury and I thought, um, you what, know, what sport were you playing? 
Uh, so I, I played tennis mostly, but I, I did a little bit of football, but I didn't quite make it to the season. I kind of just was like, I guess you could say practice squad or whatever, but yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't feel like I was good enough to, you know, be on the team. So I kind of just quit, you know, before the season started. So you're um, playing tennis, pull yeah. a hammy. Pull a hammy and it just wasn't getting better and we couldn't figure out why. Um, and so, you know, I go off to college and I'm still having these issues and I come home for Thanksgiving in 2014 and my parents, I keep complaining. So they decide they're going to take me into the doctor the day before Thanksgiving. It was Wednesday and they do like their scans or their x-rays or whatever they do. And they send me home and they say, we'll be in contact. We'll let you know. And then I, I get a call on Thanksgiving and they call me because at this point I'm an adult. So they don't, you know, they don't call my parents first. They call me and they say, we found a mass in your leg and I'm freaking out, you know, and they say there's a good chance it's cancer. Mm. And so I'm, I'm worried of course, but I don't say nothing the whole day because we're with our family and we're all Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't want to ruin the vibe and the mood. So, um, I kind of keep quiet and then I tell my parents, uh, I think it was the next day and you know, they're concerned for me. Of course they, they, they love me and they care about me, but, um, we go back to the doctor a little while later and they tell me that, um, you know, they'll just, they'll, they'll let me know whether it's cancer or not. And so I had to spend that whole holiday season, even through Christmas, you know, kind of on the fence, whether or not I was going to have cancer. They told me, you know, it was a kind of a 50, 50 type of deal. And I hate that, right? Because sometimes the not knowing is almost worse than the knowing because your mind just races. Like what could it be? Is it, is it, is it cancer? Is it just a tumor? Is it, I mean, some kind of muscle mass? Is it just a abnormal growth? Like, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I I feel you, man. Sometimes that anxiety of not knowing is worse than hearing that it's cancer because then at least you know what direction to move. For sure. Yeah. So, you know, I, it ruined my Christmas season, of course, because I was, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't think of nothing else. You know, I couldn't even focus on my schoolwork because I was still in college and come to find out it wasn't cancer. So I got lucky. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was, um, they were tumors. Um, and they told me that there were so many tumors that were in my legs and in my back that they couldn't remove them because if they were to remo- remove one, the blood loss alone from just one would make me bleed out. Wow. So, um, you know, and there was, I don't know how many they said there were, but there's a lot. Um, and so they said, you know, <laughs> you're, you're just going to have to deal with this type of pain for the rest of your life, basically, you know, and they said, you know, they handed me a script of tramadol, which is like a low level, um, painkiller. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, you know, it's, it's not very addictive is what they told me to begin with. And so I said, okay. And, um, it didn't take me very long to just be eating those like candy. And so that was kind of your first use. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, first use for like hard narcotics, you know, cause I, I had smoked weed and stuff like that, but, and drank, but n- not like, I mean, that was the progression I would say. Got you. Um, and so, you know, that, like I said, it was super low level. So it didn't take me very long to get to the point where that wasn't working. And so, you know, I, like I said, I had been going to parties and making different friends and probably not the best friends. Mm. And, um, they introduced me to, you know, harder stuff, um, started getting into harder painkillers, um, like some oxys, uh, Vicodin, stuff like that. And at first I was taking it for the pain, but then it just became, I was taking it because I had to, you know? Um, cause you were physically dependent at that physically point. dependent. Yeah. Um, and it got to the point where, um, if I didn't take it, you know, I'd get sick and, um, I couldn't be dope sick and go to school. And so, I just, I kept taking it, you know? Do you remember, do you remember like a period or a time when you like tried slowing down or stopping on your own? Um, yeah, there were many times where I tried to slow down and stop, but I just couldn't do it. And I didn't know, I didn't have any concept of what NA was or anything like that. Or I didn't know, like, I, I knew that there was a such thing as like treatment centers and recovery, but I didn't, it never crossed my mind to try and get help like that, you know? Cause I figured I was early twenties at that point, I thought this is what everybody did. Cause I, 
when I looked around and I saw all my friends, that's what they were doing. Got you. And so I thought that this was just the normal thing. You go off to college, you have a, a wild time, and then you grow up. You and know? you probably don't think that you have a problem at this time, right? Yeah. I didn't think, it never crossed my mind that I had a yeah. problem because I thought that everyone was just wild in college, and then you graduated and you grew up. Well, and one of the things that doesn't help is, I mean, you're getting a prescription from a doctor. Yeah. All the all the denials and the justifications and the rationalizations exactly. that we tell ourselves, right? Yeah. For sure. Okay. Yeah, and at that time, he also prescribed me some gabapentin, which is like a, a nerve type of mm -hmm. uh, medication. Um, but w the one thing I found out is that if you crush it up and you snort it, it's like a stimulant. And as soon as I got that taste of a stimulant, it was like I was off to the races, and that was my DOC. Um, really? Anything that could, you know, elevate me was what I wanted. Um, and so I... Now, what year of college are you in at this time? So First I was year, a sophomore year. at that point. I was 20, going on 21. Okay. Um, and I had just failed out my first semester, and they gave me one more chance to, you know, um, correct my academic problems. And if I didn't do that, then they were just going to expel me. And so I, I went through that whole semester just, you know, not really caring um, and then they expelled me. And so at that so point, the wake up call didn't really work for you. No, not <laughs> at all. And that made it even worse. In fact, because I didn't have the structure of going to class and at least trying to make something of myself, you know, and, and to be fair, I mean, when we're abusing substances, mind altering substances, the reason why it's called mind altering substances, because it alters your mind. Yeah. Your frontal cortex isn't working. Your rational decision making is not there. I mean, yeah, you're, you're just on the party train and at that point, you couldn't get off without professional help, probably. Yeah, Sounds yeah. like you tried stopping on your own. You tried slowing down. You just couldn't. You're physically dependent. Exactly. And you can't do it on your own. That's a thing. Um, there, There's a reason they say that um, in, in the groups that um, you have to admit that this problem um, is beyond your control. It's because it is. Um, you can't just stop on your own. If you could, there would be no such thing as addiction. Right, you would have. Yeah, yeah, I would have. I would have stopped because no one wants to be physically dependent on anything, you know? Yeah, for sure. And so, so how did the parents, I, I know your parents, I know your mom and dad. Yeah, yeah. They're sweet people. Shout yeah. out to them. Love them. Um, how did they react? You just failed out of college. You just um, got... They were, they were disappointed for sure. Um, and, but they, my dad kind of has the attitude that I should learn from my own mistakes. Um, he cares and I don't want to, you know, for anyone that's listening, I don't want... To paint the to, wrong yeah, picture. Yeah, to paint the wrong picture. Yeah. Um, he cares, but he also wants me to learn from my own mistakes. And I think, you know, I think that's a great way to, to learn because he, you can tell someone not to do something, but until the, they learn the hard lesson, they're not going to really understand. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so just, he, just to talk on that real quick, a yeah. um, little side note, in, in one of my psychology classes that I took, one of the questions is if you had a young child who uh, you said, hey, you know, Susie, Johnny, we're going to go to the park. Go ahead and get dressed and get ready to the go to the park. And they, they came out in, like, snow pants and a winter parka, and they're dressed, you know, for a super cold day, but it's the middle of the summer. What do you do? And that was the question, the psychology question in one of the, on one of the finals. And um, it was exactly to that point. Like, do you let them learn the hard way? Or do you tell them to go in and change and basically, right? And so my, of course, my answer was I would take little Johnny or Lewis, little Susie to the park, let them experience. And you warn them, right? Like, hey, it's hot. If I were you, I would change. And they're like, nope, this is what I want to wear. Take them, let them learn the hard way, and then have a extra, you know, change of clothes pack yeah. to, to say, okay, now next time you might want to listen because it's a hot day and you're dressed cold. Yeah. Yeah, I, sure. I have a different answer for that one. What's that? You keep them dressed up in the parka. And you drive down to Maverick, and you put them inside the beer cooler. <laughs> it's a win-win. Yeah. I guess it, I guess it could be. But but to his point, right? It's it's teaching them to learn from their own lessons. So shout out to your dad. I mean, yeah, yeah, and he's 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 a great father. Um, I could call him any time of the day or night, and he would be there to listen to me. But he also understands that he can't make my choices for me. So, um, as I was going through this, and it was getting worse, um, you know, they 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 knew what I was doing. They knew that I was taking too much of my medication and they knew I was popping pills and stuff like that. But, um, I don't think that they quite understood the full extent of it. Um, and the other stuff I was getting into too. Um, because like I said, I grew up LDS and so all of that 
sort of partying stuff, you know, wasn't. They were a little naive too. Yeah. A little naive. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that. And, um, I tried to keep it a secret too. Um, and I was, you know, associating with people that I knew that they wouldn't want me to associate with. So I tried to keep all that, you know, um, a secret Mm. and that didn't help because, um, they would have gladly got me help if I would have asked for it, but they knew that I had to ask for it because they can't, they can't do it for me. And, and an honest question here, did you not ask because maybe you didn't want it to stop? That, yeah, that honestly, yeah, that, and also because I was scared. I didn't want to admit it. So you're still in that pre-contemplation stage of change, right? Where you don't yeah. realize you have a problem. You're not going to ask for help because you don't think you have a problem. And to be yeah. honest, you're not ready to get help. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, like you said, part, part of me wanted it to continue, you know, because I was, I was having a lot of fun at that time. Um, and... You know, where, where it got really bad was, um, so I, I moved up to, um, back to Twilly, Utah, um, and that's, it's kind of a long story, but I moved up there, um, and, um, when I was up there, I actually, so I had met a girl down in St. George and I was kind of sort of dating her, um, and I didn't know it at the time, but she was, um, super into meth, um, Mm. And so she finally told me, I, I was taking a lot of Adderall because I got prescribed Adderall as well. So I was taking a lot of that. And she, you know, um, one day I was hanging out with her um, and she told me, you know, I got something that's way better than Adderall. And she, she pulls it out. And that's my first experience. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. And, Not uncommon though, right? Yeah. And I, at first I didn't even, I didn't even know how to smoke it or anything like that. She had to show me all that. I tried to smoke it like it was weed or something. <laughs> but uh she, yeah. Um, she so that's really that's really kind of when you went even you cross addicted into from prescription pain medication into methamphetamine. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, my drug of choice was any sort of stimulant. Um, I say amphetamines because it um, it's kind of like a catch all. It's anything that could just get me up, you know. Got you. So even and, the Adderall, yeah. you weren't taking them as prescribed. You were trying yeah. To oh yeah, off. yeah. And I was buying them off people, and I was yeah, you know, I was going through bottles a day. Right. Right. Um. And like I would take like 400 milligrams at a time of Adderall and that's to the point I was at. Um, and, um, Adderall, you know, it's a different type of amphetamine. It's dextroamphetamine, which is similar to methamphetamine. Um, but I, I, I liked anything that would get me up, you know? Got you. Yeah. Um, so, so you'd say that's your drug of choice. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. hundred percent, hundred percent. And the more I hung out with her, the more I, uh, the more I got into that. Um, and so, um, I, like I said, it's weird cause when you're a kid, you would never like conceive of doing, of smoking meth. You know, I, you never thought one day, oh, I'd, I'd be a meth addict. You never right. planned for that. It's not like, uh, anyone has that in their agenda, you it's know, no childhood dream. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. But once I got to that point, it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. You know, mm. um, I just kind of like had the attitude that, um, oh, well, you know, it's, it's just a habit, you know, it's just, you know, some people have bad habits. Some people smoke cigarettes, you know, some people eat too much junk food. You know, I kind of had that. So, so it had become normalized to you at that yeah. point. Oh yeah. Right? We're, we're like, you're saying as a kid, you would have never fathomed that you'd be doing that one day. It was completely out of your scope, but because yeah. you kind of started off with smoking pot and drinking and then yeah. pain pills and you're justifying it's from a doctor and naturally it just became normalized. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it was the people I was hanging out with too. And the girl I was dating and her friends too. Um, and everyone was doing it. So like I knew it was obviously not a good thing, but I didn't, in my mind at that time, I didn't understand how it was destroying me. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I didn't understand how, how bad it could be and the road it could take me. Um, and even after experiencing my first uh, bout with homelessness, I still didn't. I it. I, I still couldn't get my together, um, for lack of a better word. We got about a minute left here. Okay. So just quick question, quick. Uh, how long did it take from when you started using methamphetamines to, to the point of being homeless? So it was just a little under a year. Just a little under a year. And you're a pretty young cat. How old are you? So I'm 27. Yeah. 27. Yeah. I mean, that's still, you know, it's still fairly young. Yeah. Yeah. So it within for a young guy like you to go from college student 
Yeah. You know, in the, the, a good cult, uh, religion, you know, good parents to in less than a year, you're homeless. Yeah. It's a pretty fast acceleration. Yeah. Well, I mean, so to clear up the timeline from the time I quit college was 2015. And the first time I ever tried methamphetamine was, uh, what was does that mean we're done? We'll get right yeah. back to you. We got okay. a little 30-second uh, okay. sponsorship mention, and uh, we'll jump right back into Braden's story. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery, and once you become of the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times, and it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Episode 101, part two, the journey of Braden Dobson is underway. Before we get back to his story, we just want to uh, show our sponsors a little bit of love. Episode 101 Part 2 is brought to us by the Hilton Garden Inn. It is always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden Inn. If you or, uh, you know, your family is traveling through southern Utah, give them a Google search. Just go to the Hilton Garden Inn in St. George, Utah. They have amazing amenities. The staff's always great. I promise you'll love the stay. Again, we appreciate their sponsorship. All right, Braden, so we... We the shot clock ran out on us yeah. last time, so so uh, you were clearing up kind of the timeline from when you left school to when the homelessness started. Let's get back there. So help us out with that timeline. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't like right away that I experienced homelessness. So um, when I w- when I quit college or when I got kicked out of college, rather was like 2015, and the first time I ever was homeless was 2019. So four so years. Four, four years, yeah. Um, but from but the you time hadn't that- you started using meth in 2015, right? No, no. So the first time I used meth was was 2018 um, when I met that girl. And then twenty by summer of 2019, so a little less than a, a year after that, is when I was homeless. Um, At any point while you were going through that, did you ever like think to yourself like, man, this is this is crazy. Like I'm, I'm going to be homeless. And then like, man, this is crazy. Like I'm homeless. And then man, this is crazy. Like I'm still using these drugs that made me become homeless. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I didn't like think of it in those terms. I didn't like sit back and think, wow, this is crazy. I just kind of like, I was just thinking of what I was going to do. You know, like I know it sounds crazy to anyone who hasn't, you know, battled with addiction, but I still was thinking, how am I going to afford, you know, how am I going to afford my next score? You know, like, and I wasn't planning on stopping at all. So, so you weren't sit back, sitting back, correlating the substance use with the homelessness. And listen, I'm, I'm giving you a a kind of a bad time, but oftentimes I try to think from a listener's perspective, like, man, how, how could you not kind of correlate those two? Our stories are very similar, and yeah. I'm, this is your episode, so I'm not going to go into my story, but I totally get it. Yeah. Because at that point in time, like, you are so driven by the midbrain, your body, your brain is telling you, if we don't if we don't get more stuff, we're going to die. We're yeah, gonna, yeah, exactly. Which is and a lie. You won't die. Yeah. But, it, but the craving and the drug seeking and all of those addictive behaviors make you feel like it's yeah. the truth. Yeah, and, and coming down from meth is, is horrific, but it's not as bad as, like, coming down from opiates. And so, you know, I could deal with it, but at the same time, I didn't want to deal with it. Um, and so um, I the reason I became homeless was indirectly because of my drug use. Um, I was spending money that could have gone towards rent on drugs. Sure. And at that time, I was not working um, and I was trying to do door to door sales and it was commission based. And so I didn't have I didn't do very well on it. And the money I was making was uh, going towards substances. And so I got kicked out of my apartment that I was living at. 
and that's how I became homeless the first time. Um, so I didn't correlate it in in terms of you know one plus one equals two, but I think I knew on some level that um, that my choices all led up to that. Right, right. And for those people that are listening to this and they're like, "What are they even talking about?" Right, because like you said, not everybody can understand it. Yeah. Go to YouTube, type in Kevin McCauley, Pleasure Unwoven, and he does a fantastic job about explaining what happens inside the brain um, and why it's a disease of choice and, and all the kind of concepts we're talking about now. It slowly sounds, it sounds like what he teaches in Pleasure Unwoven happened to you. The substance use became the number one thing, most important over food, over your apartment, over your relationships, over your employment, right? It just became that number one thing. And if you don't comprehend how that's even possible, I get it. That's okay. Go check out Kevin McCauley, Pleasure Unwoven on YouTube. He's got like five or six little clips. By the end of that, it'll make a little bit more sense. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up getting uh, another place to live thanks to my parents. They basically just fronted the money. And I was homeless for like three or four months. And then it got to the point where I finally couldn't take it anymore. And I uh, asked my parents if they would just loan me the money. And they did. And I ended up getting into this apartment. Um, and I... I remember this day clearly because I was staying on a friend's couch and I um, I found this dude off Craigslist that was renting a room. And he said, I'll send my other roommate over to pick you up. And I said, okay, cool. And so this dude pulls up in a little Miata um, sports car. And uh, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but this dude was a heroin addict. Um, and he, um, so... He picked me up, and um, so I lived there for a little while. Um, I was trying to be clean, trying to, you know, I was doing Adderall and stuff like that, but I was trying to be clean. Um, and then I found out um, this dude relapsed on heroin, and mm. um, that's when, you know, the wheels fell off, and I, um, I, I rationalized it in my mind. If, if he's going to relapse and I'm going to relapse. And so that's what happened. And I was dating another girl at the time, not the same one, but I was lying to her and telling her I was clean, but I wasn't. And it was just a whole mess. Is that the um, first time you ever used heroin? Um, so I didn't use with him, but I had met another guy through work that I, that I used with. Um, I never was, I never was an IV guy, but I, I smoked it off tin foil. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't like it too much cause the first few times I did it, it made me super sick, nauseous. So I didn't like it that much. I'd rather just do pills. Um, and so I wasn't very much into that, but, um, when you say the wills came off, what did that look like? So that whole period of time was just super chaotic. Um, so the guy I was living with that he relapsed, um, he, me and him got along great, but our other roommate was um, just kind of like I, I don't know how else to put it, but just kind of like a psycho. Like he wasn't he wasn't even a druggie either. He was the only thing he did was drink, but he was he was crazy. Like you say, the only thing that he did is drink. <laughs> you realize yeah. some people are. Some, yeah. For some people, that's their drug of choice. And for some oh, people, yeah, that's yeah. what makes it. I meant no disrespect, <laughs> no, of course. I know. Yeah. It's just we, we uh, yeah. oftentimes um, we think, oh, well, it's socially acceptable. Yeah. And so it's okay. But it's not yeah. okay if you're yeah. an alcoholic that can't yeah. control your behavior. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Of course. Yeah. And I, I meant no disrespect to anyone who struggles with alcoholism. Um, I do myself, actually. So, um, yeah. Uh, so this guy, he. Um, you know, he would just go into these fits of rage for no reason. Um, and so it was super chaotic living there. And I was also stealing Adderall from him, which I'm not proud of. Mm. Um, but it happened. And I found out my other roommate was too. Um, and so he would get mad because his Adderall was missing and he would go crazy. Um, and so um, after that, I'll, I'll try and go faster because I know we had a time limit. But um, basically after that... Um, he, he ended the lease on his apartment, so I moved in with this other lady, um, and um, I ended up getting into a fight with her son, got the cops called, got my first charge, which was a domestic violence charge. I was using throughout that whole period of time, so I was super unstable, um, and then she kicked me out, and I was homeless again, um, found another place, and then homeless again, <laughs> so that's the third time, and that's when you found me on the street. 
Oh um, man. Yeah, yeah. And I I remember that day because what happened was um I had been clean for like a month before that. Um and I uh was going to go to a party and I told myself I wouldn't do any substances and I wouldn't drink. I would just have fun at the party. Yeah, just but, go socialize. Yeah, but obviously, you know, if you're around something that's going to happen. Especially when you only have a month. Yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah. I I can't control, um, you know, my drinking at all. Um, when I drink, I'm just going to keep drinking until I do something crazy. And that's how it's always been. And so, you know, when they offered me a beer, it was just like it was off to the races, you know. And pretty soon they broke out the other stuff. They broke out the Coke. They broke out Ecstasy. They broke out Xanax. And I remember all three of those being on the table. And I remember not even thinking twice. Right. I remember just, you know, all at once. And I remember... Um, walking into this room and I see this chick just on the bed and she's just, you know, having a hard time. And I could tell she was having a hard time. Um, and I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, no, I just, I took 2000 milligrams of Molly. And I'm like, holy, that's a lot. And instead of helping her, which is what I should have done, I did the scumbag thing. And I'm like, well, do you know where I can get some Molly? <laughs> right. And she's like, yeah, sure. So, um, she pointed me towards this dude and he, he hooked me up and I remember, the next thing I remember is just waking up on on uh, the sidewalk, and I had been drinking a lot, doing a lot of drugs, and I remember just calling my parents and just crying, just bawling my eyes out, just saying I relapsed, you know, because I told them I'd been clean for a month, and I think they were pretty proud of me that I made it that far. So this is kind of your rock bottom. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, waking up on a sidewalk. Yeah. <laughs> Most people never have to experience that. Right. Um, and so they said, well— We'll call our friend, um, John Gossett, who he's a great guy. Uh, he, he lives up in Tooele and he runs a charity. He's a, he's an awesome guy, but he ended up calling you and then, um, you came and found me and I remember you taking me to the hospital. I remember how rough I looked back then too. <laughs> so John Gossett has actually been a guest on this podcast before. He is a, a good buddy of mine. Yeah. It sounds like he, and that's yeah. actually how I met your parents. Uh, I went to see Casey Scott speak at a. I don't remember uh, one of his um, Life's Worth Living Foundation events, and your parents were there, and and so yeah, yeah, that's he's a good dude. You know, I one of the things I just want to back up a second on is that's the problem, right? When I know everybody, they say you know you got to find your path to recovery, and I know some people do like the California sober thing, right? Um, yeah. Here, here's my take on that: is the problem is is when you relapse on something that's not your drug of choice. Let's say for you, it was alcohol, right? Yeah. It lowers your inhibitions that you basically kind of are like, well, I've already done this and I know something else that's we, that my brain likes even more. Exactly. Right? Uppers, yeah. uppers, that was exactly, your thing. Yeah. And so that's kind of the scary thing. And, and that's why I, I'm an abstinence-based guy. I find that I can't put anything in my mind, in my body that's going to give me that lowered tolerance in my mind. Otherwise, I'm going to fold and go right back to what I, heroin, that was my thing, exactly. right? opiates. Exactly, yeah, and I totally agree. Um, I think that abstinence is the only way. I know that people have different paths to recovery, and I I don't mean any disrespect, however you do it, um, but for me personally, and this is just me, I find the same thing. I find that I can't, nothing can enter my body that um, is going to alter my mind, Um and that's how I've been. That's my mantra ever since I, um, ever since I got clean a year and a half ago. Um, and I'm coming up on my 18 months, which is December 5th. Um, and I haven't had so much as a sip of alcohol, nothing. Cause I know that it'll all just lead back to where I was. And I, I remember how bad it was back then. And I never want to go back there based on past evidence. Yeah. You already know, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you've done you've done the research. You know how that that uh, research project turns out. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. And so so John Gossett, I I'm yeah. That was a I can remember that day. Listen, back then I so he does Life's Worth Living Foundation, which is a suicide prevention. And I, I've gotten calls from him, I've gotten calls from several other people to go basically interventions. Um Right. So yeah. But let's get it from your perspective. Walk me through that. So I remember um, just waking up on the sidewalk, and it was June of 2021, and it was um, 
super hot because it was June and it's in St. George. Um, and I remember I was, I was too messed up to even be able to stand up. And I remember having to, to sit there, there, just lay there roasting on the sidewalk until I could even stand up. And then I just started walking and I remember, um, I was homeless and I didn't have service on my phone. So I had to find a place that had Wi-Fi so I could use the Wi-Fi to call my dad on Facebook. And so I finally found Domino's pizza and I called them or called my dad from the Wi-Fi from the Wi-Fi through Facebook. And he picked up and I remember just crying and he said, hold on, we'll get you some help. And I remember you showing up and it's funny because I, at first I thought you were law enforcement. So I was trying to run away from you. Um, (laughs) I don't know why I get that, man. I used to go downtown to score. Right. Yeah. And all the, all the people that were selling drugs downtown would be like, no, he's an undercover cop. (laughs) Like everybody thinks I'm a cop, man. Yeah. And so I remember you, you bought me some cigarettes and you you bought me some food and you said, um, would you consider going to treatment? And I remember saying no at first. I was like, no, I was like, no, (laughs) But um, after a little while, I remember you saying, well, just I'll take you to the hospital and you can just kind of detox and we'll figure things out. And you took me there. And I remember just debating going back and forth in the hospital, whether I was going to go to treatment or whether I wasn't going to go to treatment. And there was this one nurse that would sit by my bedside almost every night and talk to me. And she said that her brother had addiction issues and that she could she could see where it was leading and she's like I don't want you to to die Mm. and so because of her and um because of you and a lot of other people I decided I was gonna accept help for myself and I knew I was at rock bottom I knew that I knew that there was there was no path other than death for the way I was going yeah um death or incarceration is where I was headed and so I got, I went to treatment and at first I, I didn't really thrive in, in treatment. Um, I kind of had an attitude that I was going to come in and I, you know, I was just going to go through the motions and as things progressed through treatment, um, I, people got through to me, they would sit down and talk to me like I was human and it wasn't like I was used to be being treated. Most people who would see me on the street, would treat me like I was just a piece of trash. Yeah. I like to say, we'll love you until you start to love yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, um, after treatment, I got into sober living and I remembered how bad homelessness was. And so I told myself, there's no way I'm going to end up on the street again. So I'm going to stay clean. And there were some points that were really hard. Um, my first few months out of treatment, I would get the worst, cravings ever I would just obsess over how I could get high and hide it from my house Mm. um I never did um but I would always obsess over it which is pretty normal yeah it's funny because you know when I work in I work as a substance abuse counselor now right and in residential it's like somebody will you know say I feel terrible for saying this but I'm having some really bad cravings and triggers and I'm like don't feel bad for saying that yeah congratulations you're normal that's normal yeah right? Talking about it is what's going to help. Like keeping it a secret is only going to keep you sick and going to keep those thoughts continuing to spiral. Exactly. And that's what the, they instilled in me in treatment. And I was lucky because I think I ended up in one of the best sober houses, Parkway Sober House, because it was full of a group of guys that any one of them would sit down and talk with you if you were having Mm. um, a bad day or if you were having cravings or if you were feeling like you were on the brink of using, any one of them would sit down and talk with you. That's awesome. That brotherhood, that camaraderie. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I honestly, I don't know if I would have stayed sober if I hadn't, hadn't ended up in that house because, um, like I told you before this podcast started the way everything happened and the people I met, I think it was all meant to be, I think it was God because there's no other explanation in my mind. To your higher power working in your life. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And I just had to be willing and I was willing. And so I stayed in sober living for a year. I was only planning on doing a few months, but I told myself at a certain point I was going to stick it out a year no matter what. And I forced myself to go a year. And I had an opportunity to move out sooner, but I decided that I was going to stick to my plan and stay for a year. And then um, one of the people I met in sober living, he ended up um, getting another place. Um, His name's Christopher Spenlove, and I moved in with him. And then just so everybody knows, he's not giving up his anonymity. Christopher works with me. He's totally cool with him throwing out his name. Yeah, he's cool (laughs) with it. Um, 
And so, great dude, great dude. Yeah, I moved in with him, and he's he's been an awesome influence in my life too, because I can talk to him anytime, and he will sit there and listen to me for hours if I need it. And he has listened to me for hours. <laughs> <laughs> I've talked to him all night before <laughs> on many yeah. occasions. So I'm so lucky that I found the people that I did and so many amazing people. The recovery community in St. George is, is amazing. It's like no other, you know. Um, there are so many wonderful people um, that are like God's angels. And I feel like um, I feel like anybody who's struggling with addiction that might be hearing this, um, if you allow yourself to accept help, you won't regret it. It'll be the best thing you ever did for yourself. It's funny because you've talked about every single one of the, the pieces of the four pillars that, that is predominant in recovery, right? Bio, your physical health, psycho, psychological, so it's bio-psycho, um, all the thoughts, the cravings, the right depression, anxiety, all that type of stuff. Social, it sounds like getting into the fellowship and guys like Chris, that nurse, that whole community of recovery down here that you've talked about, it's that third pillar, then spiritual. I mean, looking back, you've been able to piece it together and go, this wasn't a coincidence. This is my higher power stepping into my life and making this happen for me. And I think those four pillars are so important that people don't understand. Like you have to, you have to take care of yourself physically. You need to talk to somebody and get your mental health in check. The social piece is super important and that, that spiritual piece is super important. I've really yeah. enjoyed listening to, listening to your recovery. Cause again, for me, I get a call. Hey, I got a guy that's struggling. Need you to go help him. Did you know I drove around for 45 minutes and I couldn't find you? Really? Because <laughs> they were like, he's at the Domino's. And I drive past her. I'm like, he's not at the Domino's. <laughs> right? I'm yeah. calling him back. And then they gave me a description and sent me a picture of you on my phone. And so then I'm driving down the road, uh, River Road. And I see you and I look at the picture and I'm like, uh, it could be him, <laughs> right? Because you were looking rough. Yeah, bro, yeah. I had, I had this blonde, shaggy hair back then, dyed blonde hair. <laughs> I didn't so, even look like my pictures. Yeah. So it's been fun to, and you've already talked about what happened from that point, but it's been fun to hear kind of your journey and what's happened since then. And I've, I've done interventions for many people and I shared this with you before we jumped on here. Not too many of them have stayed in recovery and I'm super proud of you. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it. And like I said, um, I think that a lot of it really did have to do with I I was blessed enough that God put me um, in the path of the right people. I mean, I'll I'll take credit and say that I worked hard on my recovery, but also I have to give partial credit to God because I feel like he put me in the path where he knew I'd meet the right people and those people would be great influences in my life for me to, to stay sober. So I, I, I can't do it without, without my higher power at all. The part I think that you need to credit yourself for is that willingness. Yeah. Right? Because people can't get help if they're not ready to get help. People can't get help if they don't stay in the hospital and at least have the discussions with the nurses and then go to treatment and struggle in treatment and get out and be in early recovery and have all those cravings and talk to people about them and be able to move into a sober house. And right, like it takes willingness. It takes honesty, it takes openness, it takes willingness. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that was the first time I ever had willingness because I was always trying to you know, kind of do it my way before and my way didn't work. It never, it never did. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. Our, our best thinking got us there. Our best yeah. thinking's not going to get us out. Yeah. So we got about three minutes left here, Braden. Okay. So what's on the horizon for you, man? You got about 18 months clean. I'm a big believer in setting goals and chasing after goals. I mean, what, what's next for, for Braden Dobson? Oh, so yeah, right now I'm trying to, uh, save, save up and get back into college. I, I talked to the, um, admissions recently and they told me that, um, because I was expelled before I have to pay out of my own pocket to, to get back into college. So right now I'm just trying to save, save for that. And I'm going, in other words, you can't get a loan. Yeah. Yeah. I can't get a loan because right. I was expelled. Um, so I, I want to pursue a, um, a sports journalism degree. Way cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. And hopefully be on the radio or, or something like that. I think that'd be way cool. Um, I know a guy that runs a radio station. Oh, really? What? Huh? Yeah. Sean Denovan might you, be you over the radio oh, yeah. down here. You walked in the, this room, right? <laughs> and the next one's a radio station. Yeah. And the one 20 feet over is a radio station. And the one on the other side of this wall is going to be a radio station next month. 
And he's always looking for good guys yeah. to come on and yeah. talk okay. about sports. Talk yeah. to me. Yeah. Radio give me generally. his number. I, I'm serious. I'm yeah. right here, man. Let me give me his number. It's me. Oh, it's you? It's me. It's you? Yeah, it's I me. I didn't realize that's... Uh, okay. I feel stupid I now. I, I feel stupid now. Okay. It's all I'm gonna good. Grab it's all good. I mean it. I'm going to grab it's your number. It's all good. It's your higher power working again in your life. We exactly, might have some connections yeah. here. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm just so excited for the future because I'll tell you what. I A year and a half ago, I couldn't even conceive I'd be here. Um, so I can't even imagine what it's going to be like a year and a half from now or even 10 years from now. I mean, I mean, I, I, I also want to help other people, too. So that's part of my goal, too, is I want to um, I have a recovery podcast, too. It's not quite as high tech as, as this. Um, but I I my whole point is to try and help people, you know, and if Absolutely. anybody can listen to what I'm saying on here and just take something from it. Then I'll, I'll feel happy about that. Give yourself you know? a plug, man. What's the name of your podcast? It's called Shooting Hope. Shooting can, Hope. Yeah, Shooting Hope. How many episodes have you guys done? We've only done like three, and we haven't done it since February. Like I said, we aren't very consistent, but we're we're going to get back and and be doing it. So yeah, cool man. Look out for that. Um, yeah, but I'm I'm just so excited for for what the future holds for sure. Listen, I really appreciate you coming yeah. on here and being willing to share all your dirt with. Yeah. It. This is an international podcast. We have downloads in in Europe. We have downloads right on. in England. I guess England is part of Europe, right, Sean? Yeah. Anyways, yeah, sure. Yeah, Australia, all across That's part the United of States, That's just part over of there. You know, across the ocean, across yeah, the ocean. Everything on the other side of the beach is Europe. There you go. Doesn't yeah. matter what it be. <laughs> yeah. So everything not America is Europe. <laughs> so up in Canada, like you know, a lot of people are going to hear your story, and I'm sure you're going to inspire a lot of people. And it's because you're willing to come on and be vulnerable. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to say real quick before we end, anyone who's struggling and wants help, do it. It'll be the best thing that you've ever done for yourself. Thanks again, bro. Love you. Love you too. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from a podcast studio.